0: Tim Grady here with Manufacturing Talk Radio, and today I'm interviewing Nancy Lemaster, who is the committee chair for the hospital report on business. They actually have tracked and developed the purchasing managers index for hospitals across the nation. And it's been a very interesting series that we've been doing with Nancy. Nancy, welcome back to the show.
1: Well, thanks, Tim. I'm so excited to be here. We've had a really interesting June.
0: Well, share with us. I see a number of 63.1, and I know what that means for manufacturing and for services. Share our audience what that means for hospitals.
1: Okay. Well, a lot like the, um, particularly the service index, the metrics are very similar for the hospital index. And so when we look at the, um, the PMI, you know, it's really, to me, I look at that as an indicator of volume or growth. And we have had now 13 months in the growth uh, range on these metrics. And June was no different. You know, we've, we've kind of been uh, thinking about how stable is that number, is that how strong is that trend, and it continues to be really strong. And what was interesting this month was the, I I would guess just overwhelmingly positive comments by our panelists about the mix of volume. You know, we talk about that in hospitals that it's not just, you know, do you have patients? It's kind of what kind that impacts how they get reimbursed and get paid. So um, even though there are some serious COVID hotspots and Delta variant out there, For the most part, our panelists in June saw a lot of elective volume and not so much COVID volume, and that was a very good thing for them.
0: Well, it's certainly positive to hear that because, you know, COVID's been with us for a while, and it's now tapering off, assuming Delta or Lambda, another one they're tracking, doesn't erupt. What are your respondents saying about how they're feeling where things are going?
1: So you know when we look at the uh, the
0: new orders
1: index, that is still growing. In fact, it was really you know pretty strong at sixty six. Um, and so comment wise, um, although summer can be a bit slower time in hospitals, sometimes people you know the good weather comes and they're not so sure they want to have elective procedures. They maybe push them off a little bit. The new orders index um, would suggest they're expecting it to stay pretty strong. And, you know, when we talked, actually, Lou and I talked last month, um, I was very concerned with the employment number, which had contracted. We were seeing volume, just like in manufacturing and service industry. Um, We saw a big bounce back, interestingly enough, in June in employment. In fact, it was up six and a half percent. So we went from contracting to a pretty solid 56, although comments still indicated challenges finding nurses some of the skilled, Um, the comments also suggested with the vaccines being out there, um, they were having a better luck, better opportunity in hiring some of those support roles, those housekeepers and food service people and supply techs that are so critical. So that was encouraging because you and I have talked, if it's one thing to have the demand, but you gotta have the people to take care of the demand.
0: Absolutely. I was recently traveling through the states of Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, Wisconsin, and virtually every place we stopped had either a help wanted sign out, or there were restaurants along the journey that simply weren't open. They couldn't get any staff. So hospitals, I'm sure are struggling because they carry the burden of gee, I'm going into an atmosphere where COVID's pretty prevalent and scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you when wages start to go up in other service sectors, right, when you're looking for those frontline food service housekeeping type labor, you know, that again puts more strain on the finances and the challenge of recruiting on the on the medical worker side, we have the technical challenge of do we have enough people educated in that field? And, and, you know, obviously there's pressure on those salaries as well. But, you know, I see the the financial pressure across the board on on hospitals, just like other service industries and manufacturing for that matter.
0: Well, a big shout out, by the way, to the people who work in hospitals behind the scenes, who clean the receptacles, who take away the, medical waste and you know they, they just kind of do their job and we see the doctors and the nurses uh, they occasionally slip in and out of rooms and take care of things and uh, it's it's a courageous piece of work as well.
1: Yeah uh, I, have, I used to joke and say I would ask people how many times in a hospital you get great outcomes and don't consume any pharmaceuticals or supplies. Those are mission critical you have to have them and those workers who stock the shelves and order and receive I think that we've really seen that coming through the pandemic, how critical that work is.
0: It is. And it's fascinating. You know, you think uh, most of us understand retail, most of us understand uh, manufacturing, at least conceptually. But to get your head around the fact that behind the scenes in a hospital, there's trucks pulling up, unloading cases, somebody's got to break them down, there's syringes, there's needles, there's sheets, there's pillowcases, everything under the sun going into a very controlled environment where they have to track everything in incredible detail, particularly if it's a pharmacy related, uh, right. they do a terrific job. Yeah.
1: Well, the numbers on supplies in June um, really do continue to tell a story of how challenging it is for hospitals to, uh, I would say, optimize their supply chain. A lot continued with supplier deliveries, are still slowing and, and they've been at this, I think it was, I'm gonna peak here for a second. Um, 19 months, are the trend of slow supplier deliveries. Um, a lot of comments on back orders and product substitution, although there was a glimmer of hope. we A couple of uh, our panelists did say that, you know, availability of the personal protective equipment is, is much better. Um, one even said they were seeing maybe a little bit of relief in the price pressure, but, but for the most part, a lot of effort is still going into making sure that we can get those supplies and the pricing trends, just like we saw in the manufacturing report, um, continue to go up. We've got a 39-month trend in pharmaceutical pricing increasing month over month for 39 months, supplies over the last 20 months. So again, as we talked about, feeling that pressure... They're feeling it on labor costs and on supply costs, trying to, um, to manage those expenses against uh, pretty much a fixed revenue stream.
0: Uh, Nancy, do you know, I don't know if the, that the report tracks this, but certainly the hospitals must track it. I know that during COVID they were scrambling globally, trying to find personal protective equipment. What's happening in pharmacology these days and where our pharmaceuticals are coming from? Are they trying to source more locally or are they just, you know, the source of China and that's it?
1: Well, interestingly enough, the source on pharmaceuticals is um, not just China, but India. And that's been a, a real worry as the COVID has hit hard in India. Um, I think that, you know, those aren't going to be short term flip a switch and we can produce more um, domestically. Um, there are definitely domestic plants, but a lot of the raw materials come from foreign countries. So you know, I think that both the discussion about PPE being produced domestically and more, especially of our critical drugs, although anymore, all the drugs are critical, um, right. is a big question and I don't know if you've heard, but the NIH is going to be making a big push with grants, to increase research around um, antivirals. So the idea that antivirals help control a virus, like, you know, that we have that for the flu, we don't have that for a COVID, but more research around that. Um, and I found a really interesting article um, that was just an announcement that Ashner, the system in, in uh, Louisiana, is launching a domestic PPE production plant. So, here we've got a healthcare system um, trying to get into partnering with and getting into the business of production. Um, there's a coalition of hospitals that have also gotten together to try and do more domestic production of pharmaceuticals. So, you know, they say out of every crisis comes something good and innovative. And you now see hospitals really for the first time, unlike other industries, saying, hey, maybe we need to control. More of the supply chain and actually get into the production end, so that will be interesting to watch.
0: I think it's a smart move by the industry. Uh, definitely interesting to watch. What are some of the other aspects that you monitor in this report? And I know they're they're quite similar to the manufacturing and the services side uh, that you can help explain so our audience understands this very interesting world of healthcare.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I think one thing that we always take a a close look at uh, in the other uh, reports is inventory, inventory level and inventory sentiment. And, you know, this is where you get some of those uh, indicators that you think, well, okay, we're just talking about the fact that it can be very difficult to get some of these supplies. But yet, on the other hand, um, hospitals are saying their inventory levels are too high and they're trying to burn them down. So we've got, you know, um, inventory levels have been, you know, for the about last five months, hospitals have been saying, hey, they're too high, and we're contracting. So I think that, you know, like anything, it's, it's the balance of inventory. So as COVID cases go down, you need less of certain types of PPE. But as your elective surgeries, let's say, go up, You have a different type of supply you need. So I think, you know, we're seeing um, the supply chain folks really trying to balance those inventories out. That helps a little bit with the slow deliveries, the back orders, that kind of thing, if they've got some inventory to draw on. But, you know, the question is going to be at what point have we whittled that down and now we've got to start building it back up. And that has a little bit of impact on obviously on imports. We just talked about the fact that a lot of the PPE is coming from elsewhere. We saw imports go up a little bit this month as well. So um, a, a challenging supply chain to balance because of the diversity of cases. You know, when others come into healthcare supply chain, they kind of say, "Well, where's your bill of materials?" Well, it, it's it's um, more challenging to create a bill of materials for a procedure when people react very differently, I always say, you know, you have your core, but, you know, I've got to be able to take care of a a two pound neonate and a 500 pound adult. And and that's a lot of different inventory sizes and shapes and colors in between there. So it does make uh, the complexity of trying to make that efficient an ongoing challenge for the industry to get better and better at planning, demand, managing the level of inventory. So that's an important thing, I think, that this report um, provides to the industry in terms of how, how healthcare is doing with that challenge.
0: The hospital supply chain people are in the unenviable position of having a hard time predicting how to respond to something like COVID, which in January wasn't a big deal. By March, it was a serious issue and all of a sudden, you need supplies uh, in certain areas that far exceed what you have. And I know the rural hospitals really struggle to try to find PPE as most hospitals did, but the rural people really were in a challenging spot. How are they doing now?
1: Actually, the rural hospitals are are kind of under siege again. If you are oh. watching any of the news, I, I live in Missouri and we Get, keep making the front page of the, the New York Times with our high per capita COVID rate. Those have been very much in the rural areas. In those hospitals, we, one of our hospitals in Springfield, Missouri, uh, you know, has run out of ventilators again. Um, the, I think the thing that we saw happen that I hope continues is a lot more partnerships, a lot more willingness to loan equipment and people and help each other out. And I think what you're seeing now, and it really depends on the Delta variant and the vaccination rate, is the surges we're seeing right now are tending to be rural and a lot of the urban hospitals are are stepping up. They're transferring equipment, drugs, you know, even people in some cases to help them. The challenge is if we don't contain this and it goes back into the urban areas again, then it, it, it puts that draw on the whole system. So, you know, a lot of focus on, on watching this variant, even though, you know, in talking earlier, people were saying they're very positive about the, the mix and the rebound of electives, et cetera. We know we've seen it before, that can change in a heartbeat if if we start to get overrun with the COVID virus again. So um, yeah, it, it it definitely is a challenge, but I, I am proud of how well the industry has worked together. Um, ARM, you know, the professional organization for healthcare uh, supply chain folks, you know, has partnered with an organization called GHX, and they went through and they pre-screened all kinds of non-conventional suppliers and put that out for free to hospitals. Here, let us help you. Um, So I I think that camaraderie has been, again, one of those little silver linings in this dark cloud and people really are reaching out and realizing they need those rural hospitals. We don't want them to close.
0: Yes, certainly. I I also know, Nancy, that you're involved in an area that is in kind of the software development side. Mm -hmm. the, The major hospital groups have their body of software that contains all the patient information and it might not talk to the other large group hospital software, and then you have the rural people. Has COVID begun to drive towards, we need a system that can share data across the universe of hospitals?
1: I think the interoperability challenge is is very much there and and was really highlighted. I um, was able to sit in on a webinar with the the, uh, Office of the National coordinator of healthcare IT out of Washington, DC. And they talked a lot about um, putting more effort and funding into helping software providers and hospitals with this interoperability challenge. I mean, you know, I think that during the midst of COVID, you know, people were all hands on deck. There wasn't as much focus on this, but your point of needing healthcare information more at the point of consumption so we can do better demand planning, being able to get that information across systems. Um, I think that now we have some of the the funding out of the uh, COVID relief acts that will be able to be put towards improving our IT infrastructure and that interoperability. Um, And that could turn out to be very positive. If we can stay focused, you know, we said we've been here before, we have a crisis, They throw a bunch of short-term money at it, and then they don't spend the money to sustain the internal systems on an ongoing basis. And and we need to be more rational this time in terms of investing in interoperability, but then maintaining those systems so the next crisis, you know, it works. we've, We've kept them updated.
0: And certainly patient records in that is very important as the U.S. now opens up and really the world is opening up. People are moving around geographically again, having access to the patient records. If I'm in if we're in Wisconsin, but we happen to live in Georgia, uh, I think is really critical. Is there any improvement in that area?
1: So within the the regulations that the uh, office of the ONC, we call it, they regulate and certify electronic health records and and make requirements based back on the hospitals. And they are basically requiring now that uh, a handful of agreed upon data elements be able to be passed to the uh, patient's app of choice, um, so that they can have access to that. And I, I can't give you the exact date, but we're looking at like 2022, not, you know, 2050 um, right. and those, for those requirements to be in place. And so I think there is a lot of work going on in the background to figure out, you know, a couple of things. One, some patients don't want to have that risk of picking an app and and personally caring for their record, but some will, so we can do that, but then the other is making sure that we can do the hospital to hospital transfer, hospital to primary care physician transfers. So there are regulations in in place to push that to happen, and I think now um, there's going to be even more focus on, on making that happen. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll get regulations and then they'll put off enforcement and nobody will really do it. So I think we're gonna see a big change there in the expectation that it happened.
0: Oh, that's great to hear because that's certainly critically important to serve the population. I realize every healthcare provider, because largely I think of their insurance connections and who they get paid by wants to keep the patient within their system but that is not always going to be the case and patient record information is really critical. It is. Nancy, is is there anything else that you can share with our listeners about this report in general? Anything that surprises you or anything that could be a concern in the near future?
1: Well, I think there were two things that um, are early indicators of something that may be positive going forward. So we talked before about days payable outstanding, and that's kind of how fast hospitals pay their bills. So, you know, our suppliers, our manufacturers, you know, that's an important metric for for them. And we saw that uh, metric declined contract in June, which means that the number of days it's taking for them to pay their bills is less than it was before. They're speeding up their payments. um, And that could be a positive. Uh, That's when we'll look for, will that become a trend? But in the process of of digging a little deeper on that, I talked to a friend who's a a CFO, we were doing some digging about whether or not there's a benchmark number of days for the industry. And we didn't find that, but what we did find was according to some of the rating agencies like a Moody's, During the pandemic, uh, hospitals went from an average of around between 60 and 65 days of payables outstanding to 99. So we saw a a huge slowing of payment. So that would suggest that as we get through the crisis and now they're able to work harder on on, um, kind of of cleaning up their systems that we should see an improvement in the the, reduction in the amount of days it takes for suppliers to get paid. So I think that that will be something that they'll be anxiously watching and hoping for. Um, the other metric was we saw a big uptake. I mean, it was like, I'm cheating here, 9% increase in technology spend month over month. That was a, the biggest increase I've seen probably in, a, in over a year. Um, and so again, that is a lever I look at. If hospitals are feeling positive, about their mix and their payments and their profitability. You know, well, we're gonna clean up our payables outstanding, right? Because that impacts cash flow. So we got a little cushion, we're gonna try and pay our bills faster. And we're gonna release the spigot on technology spend. That could be high-ticket imaging equipment, it could be buildings that were put on hold, or it could be a new program. So um, we wanna watch those and see if that becomes a trend. If that's a trend, that's another way of saying hospitals are feeling more confident about their operations.
0: You may, I'm sure you're aware of this. I don't know if this report or ISM is directly involved in billing clarity. I know there's some discussion in the news and even at the government level that when a patient receives a bill, They from the hospital, then they receive a bill from the doctor or doctors, then they receive a bill from the labs and then they receive a bill from who knows where it's awfully hard for the patient to determine what what am I supposed to pay is that getting cleaned up at all in the hopefully near future.
1: I would say yes and no. Um, so a good on the good news side, I'm sure you may have heard that President Biden is signing an executive order on the surprise out-of-network billing. So you go into a hospital for surgery, and it's in-network for your insurance, but you don't have any way of knowing the anesthesiologist, which is outsourced to a, a third-party company, is out-of-network, and then you get this out-of-network big bill. Um, happens a lot in the emergency department, departments that... Hospitals may have outsourced to a third party. Well, that's basically not going to be allowed going forward. So that's going to be a big relief to people. You know, when they go to their doctor who's in network, they're assured the doctor isn't using a lab that's out of network and they're going to get a surprise bill. So I think that's a positive. I think, you know, the challenge of getting the multiple bills is that in many cases, these are different billing Companies. You know, the hospital is its own entity and it can only bill for its services. So if it contracts with a third party emergency department, staffing company, or anesthesiology, it's hard to consolidate that. Not saying it can't be done, but a lot more work needs to be done there to figure out how you do an umbrella bill.
0: Well, it's interesting because years and years ago, we just assumed that you know the doctors and the nurses and the labs all worked for the hospital. It was right. all under one roof. And now we're finding that the hospitals have taken a kind of a different business model. And mm-hmm. they are a space in which other people perform healthcare services. And you get all this crazy billing. So I'm yeah. glad there's movement hopefully in the direction where a patient can understand what am I going to be billed? Who am I going to be billed
1: from? <laughs> right. Right. You know, even if you would could tell them up front, you know, here are the people you're going to get bills from, you know, that might even even that much might help a little bit. So they at least they know what to expect.
0: Yes. yeah, certainly. Uh, I, I'm sure it'll be hard to forecast. It's kind of like when you go in to get your car fixed and you think they're going to do an oil change and then they call you up and say, well, yeah, but we need to change the spark plugs and we're going to change a bunch of belts and You know, the bill isn't going to be $79. It's going to be $1,790. Yeah, not an
1: ideal thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, Nancy, thank you so much again for being with us and sharing the Hospital Purchasing Manager's Index Report from us. that report on business from the Institute for Supply Management. And we encourage everyone to go to ismworld.org. You can tap into these reports. Nancy, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Tim, for having
0: me. And as always, we encourage all of you to go to jacketmediaco.com so that you can see all of the other podcasts that we produce and ismworld.org so that you can read these reports for yourself, the one on manufacturing, the one on services, and this one on hospitals. We appreciate you joining us here again on Manufacturing Talk Radio.